Good morning. Please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. This morning's verse comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for the scripture reading, Matt. I, I texted Matt yesterday and I said, hey, can you do the scripture reading? He said, absolutely. And I texted him. I said, all right, the scripture reading is Hezekiah 317, uh, which is a bad Christian joke because there's no such thing as Hezekiah uh, in the Bible as far as a book and chapter goes. And he texted me back with three thumbs up and I said, well, let's see what, what he's going to read this morning. So uh, you nailed it. You nailed it. You chose a good one. Uh, man, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. My name is uh, Pastor Alberto, if we haven't met, and I uh, just want to thank you for joining us to, to worship this morning. Uh, we, we say here that, that we gather to worship God, and that worship just isn't an experience that we have by singing worship songs. Rather, every movement in this service is geared towards worshiping the Lord, glorifying God in song, uh, in community as we gather and check in with one another in the word as we look at the word of God to be transformed uh, by the word of God in generosity, every single movement moving towards glorifying the Lord. And there's something extraordinary that happens when we worship God. Uh, as we lift up our praises to the Lord, God begins to meet us. And when we enter into God's presence, transformation happens. Uh, that as we behold the beauty of Christ, Paul says that we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. And so I've said it before and I'll say it again, uh, you are being transformed right now. Uh, some will be 180 degrees transformed this morning, uh, where you will be able to distinguish the transforming work of Christ, taking your old self and making you a new creation. For others, you'll experience maybe a, a one degree transformation where uh, it might not be so noticeable, but as C.S. Lewis says, uh, day by day when it seems like nothing is changing, you'll be able to look back and everything will look so different. And so I want to thank you this morning for making that commitment to be here and to worship the Lord and be a part of his transforming work in your life. And so this morning we are kicking off a brand new sermon series that I've been extra excited about called Work, Sacred Calling. Uh, the Lord really put this idea for a sermon series in my heart uh, sometime last year, and it did not fit in our calendar year in, in 2021, and now I'm excited that we get to open it up, and so I, I'm praying that it goes as well as I imagine it to be. If not, uh, we'll be okay, because uh, at least we looked at the Word of God, and so why on earth are we doing a series on work? Well, we say uh, that, that we want to see the gospel transform every single area of our life. Not just the spiritual parts of life that, that we're used to bringing before the Lord, but every single area. And there's one area of our life where we will spend one-third of our lives in. And, and you guessed it. That is work. Uh, average says uh, uh, that, that we'll spend 90,000 hours of our lifetime working. And, and some individuals uh, have already passed 90,000 uh, hours. Shout out to you guys. And, and some of us haven't even started. Uh, but we'll spend 90,000 plus hours of our lives in work. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like we can separate our work life from our spiritual life. 
uh, that somewhere along the lines, we began to believe this idea that what's sacred must remain sacred and anything that's secular must not intersect with those things. And so we bought this idea that our work is secular and that our spiritual life is sacred and they don't interact. But that is not God's vision for work. In fact, God's vision for work, as we'll see over these next few weeks, is that, our, is that the place where we occupy most of our time would be one of the places where we experience transformation and become more like Christ. And I love this quote by Paul Manier. He says this, the Bible is an album of casual photographs of laborers, a book, of, a book by workers, about workers, for workers. That is the Bible. And over the next few weeks, we'll be examining a few photographs and see what the scripture has to say about this subject uh, and, 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 and how it speaks to our lives as disciples of Jesus. I love this quote by Robert Banks. He says that God is a worker. He says in the scripture, we see that God is a composer and performer, a metal worker and potter, a garment maker, a gardener, a farmer, a shepherd, a tent maker and builder over and over and over again in the scriptures, we see a God who works. Now, when we think about work, we kind of treat it like a four-letter word sometimes. Uh, in fact, sometimes we have three different ideas about work. Sometimes we, we, we think that work is a blessing. There's some people in this room who, who you consider your work to be a blessing in your life. It's satisfying. It's, it's life-giving. You enjoy it. You feel fulfilled. Yet for others, work is a curse. Uh, it feels like we're just counting down the hours just to get in our car and go home. And, and you hate your job and you're highly unsatisfied and, and it feels like it is the most dreadful thing in your life. And if you feel that way, you're in good company. A Harvard Business Review survey revealed that 58% of people say they, trust their they say they trust strangers more than their boss. Uh, the conference board reported that 53% of Americans are currently unhappy with their work. Half of the U.S. workforce is unhappy. And if work doesn't feel like a blessing or a curse, maybe work feels like an idol. Where work becomes this false god where you derive all of your meaning and all of your purpose. A work is where you find your identity. It's the place where you validate your existence and you show the world, surface level, how happy you are because you have your, quote, dream job or best job ever. And when work becomes this god or this idol, the scripture says that we make sacrifices to idols. Uh, and when we, we idolize work, we begin to sacrifice for our work. Uh, according to a Grand Canyon uh, University survey of 600 business people, 53% of people said they sacrificed taking time off and vacations for their work. 46% said they sacrificed an adequate sleep routine. 30% said they sacrificed entering or continuing a relationship. And 26% sacrificed starting or building a family. When work becomes your idol, you sacrifice to that idol. And as I was perusing through these stats last night, there was one that really jumped out to me. And the question was, how do you expect your work-life balance to change as you progress in your career? And 54% said it will become better. 
that 54% of people who find themselves in an unhappy work situation believe that when they look into the future, that their work will become better. That, that though right now it's not ideal and that the circumstances aren't good, there's still this itch of hope that believes it will become better. Now, what's interesting about the statistic is that the idea that the work will become better uh, comes from the idea that maybe they'll find another job and, and the work itself is better, that, that their life will improve as they find a higher quality of fulfilling work. And what's interesting to notice is that the quality of our life never increases because of our quality of work. Uh, we see time and time again people landing their dream jobs, making as much money as they want, and then still feeling empty and unfulfilled. And what the scriptures reveal is that our work doesn't make life better. Rather, when God's vision for work takes over, then our work becomes better. And so the question I have for you this morning is, well, what is God's vision for work? And how do we grasp God's vision for work and internalize it so that we can work from a place that honors the Lord and is fulfilling and satisfying despite where we find ourselves? To answer this question, we will visit three scenes. If you're taking notes, first one is created to work. Second is curse in work. And third is a new creation. I tried really hard to find a C for that last one. It wasn't working. So uh, we're just going to take it, okay? Created to work, curse in work, and a new creation. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we come in Jesus' name, and uh, we ask that you would uh, open up our hearts and souls to receive your word. Uh, It's easy, Lord, to come into a place like this and just be so distracted by the work that is waiting for us or by decisions that need to be made or thinking of a thousand things that may have come up. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just give us eyes and ears to see the Lord this morning and pray that you would prepare our hearts to be good soil for this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Created to work. In the opening lines of scripture, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you've been journeying with us, we go back to Genesis 1 a lot. And and maybe you've noticed by now that no matter how much time we spend in Genesis 1 and Genesis 3, we still have not scratched the surface, that there's so much depth to the word of God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the opening pages of scripture, God is working. And what is he doing? He is creating. Now, this is important to point out because the image of God that is revealed in the scriptures is not one of this Greek mythology-like deity who is distant in the clouds, enjoying his leisure because there's people below him working to build a world that will satisfy him. No, what we see in the beginning is that God did not create a transactional world to get something in return. Hear me. He already has everything he needs. So why did God create the world and everything in it? Well, what we see is that God overflowing with love and joy and peace within his triune relationship creates a world for us to experience the love and joy and peace in life that he already has been experiencing for eternity. And and three things stick out in Genesis chapter 1 about the way God works and how he creates. Number one, work is purposeful, work is creative, 
and work is good. That there's purpose to the work God is doing. It is creative as he is ushering in his creative authority to create the world that we live in. And he ends by saying, it is good. And this means that the world that God creates for us uh, and the world that we work in, that, that our work too can be purposeful, that it can be creative and that it can be good. And when we, we speak about this idea of creating, the idea is creating shalom in the world. It's this idea of creating the peace that the Hebrews speak about, this harmony and unity within the world, peace with God, peace with creation, peace with one another, and peace within ourselves, creating shalom in the world, advancing good and creating culture that celebrates and exalts God that's in unity and harmony with one another. And as God is creating, and as God is working, notice that the final act of his creation are puppies. No, just kidding. Humans. It's humans. It's humans. You're with me. Humans. Maybe second to last, puppies. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Two foundational things are happening here that describe what it means to be a human. The first is that humans were created to exercise dominion. In other words, humans were created to steward the world that God created, uh, to continue creating a world where humanity would thrive and flourish in, to create shalom, to finish this work of extending the garden, because the garden was not the final destination, it was the beginning, that the garden would cover the entire earth, and it would be a place of wholeness, completeness, health, safety, prosperity. The second thing that we see here is that we're image bearers, and that as an image bearer, we uniquely reflect who God is in his good world. To be an image bearer means to be a worker, because we're reflecting the image of God, and who is God? He is a worker, and in our work, we display, we image, we bear witness to God's beauty, to God's creativity, and we display his glory all over the world. Now, remember what we said earlier, that God's design for work is purposeful. It's good. We partner with God in contributing good to the world, and it's, it's creative. We, we help create harmony and shalom in the world. We create environments for others to flourish and experience the goodness of God, all while being replenished from doing the very thing that God designed us to do. You know, manual labor, this looks like manual labor is partnering with God to contribute to the world and create shalom. This looks like office workers partnering with God to contribute good to the world and create harmony. This looks like physical workers and mental workers partnering with God to contribute good to the world that would glorify him and create unity and harmony. This looks like the stay-at-home mom partnering with God to contribute good to the world as you raise your children and create unity and harmony in the home. 
If you're a student in this room, uh, high school, elementary, middle school, college, uh, your work is learning. Uh, Your classes is where God has called you to work and where God is working through you. Now, I want to encourage you, if you're a student, to put all of your best effort into all of it because you're not simply learning to pass classes. You're learning so that you can be divinely equipped to create shalom in the world and contribute good for the glory of God. And there's something interesting that we notice about the work in the beginning, as we mentioned earlier, that it wasn't transactional the way we think about it now. When we think about work, we think about a job that we fill to get money in return to meet basic needs and make sure the bills are paid for and so we can have a certain standard of living. But in the beginning, it was never about economic exchange. It was never, hey, I put this, these many hours in the garden, God, you saw how many avocado trees I planted, Where, where's mine? Hurry up and pay me. It wasn't, I did this much work and in return, you give me this amount of money. No, God didn't say work the field and work the land and in return I will bless you. Hear me. In the beginning, work is the blessing. In the beginning, the first blessing is work. Work is not the curse. Creation had begun, but it was still incomplete, and God commissions humans to work, to join in creating shalom in the world. That is not a curse. That is a blessing. But if we're honest, the work that we do, the jobs that we have, don't feel like a blessing. They don't always feel purposeful. They don't always feel creative. They don't always feel good. Sure, there's some meaningful moments here and there, but it seems like the overall experience is the opposite of blessing. Why is that our experience? Turn with me to Genesis 3 as we visit our second scene, cursed in work. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 24. You can look at the screen with me. It says, and Adam, and he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You know the scene. Through man's disobedience in the garden, sin enters the picture and begins to corrupt God's good and perfect world. And what once was a blessing, a means of connecting to God and creating a world that would glorify God, now it seems like it's a curse because it is. And God's original design for work, like his design for, hear me, all things has been corrupted. And the word used to describe this new reality is curse. Now, curse in this context does not refer to the images we conjure up when we think of horror movies or dark spiritual practices. Although in other contexts in the scriptures, it can refer to that. But in this context, curse is the word that's used to describe a new dimension of life. Curse is used to describe a new dimension of life. What do I mean by that? A new way of life that wasn't once there and is the opposite of blessing. Remember what we said earlier, work was designed to be good, purposeful and fulfilling and creative. Work was not a result of the fall, 
But now the fall introduces a new dimension, a new reality called curse. And instead of work being good, work is hard. Work is painfully difficult. And work now feels so alienating because we feel so connected from the fruit of our labor and our passion has run dry. What was once a place of flourishing and peace now seems the place where we hold back our tears and leave them for the car ride home as we process the bag of emotions that was work. Instead of purposeful and fulfilling, it feels empty and meaningless, accompanied by a lingering thought that routinely visits all of us, does any of this matter? Instead of creating shalom, our work feels like the breeding ground for division and temptation. Instead of being a place where good is advanced, it feels stagnant and stale on all fronts, and it's the place where the deepest desires of our flesh are met. And instead of creating good and working selflessly in, in love towards God and for others, what do we do with work? We pursue environments to work in where the flesh will be most satisfied. Why do you work there? Because it pays this much money and it funds all these hobbies that are tearing my soul apart. And this new dimension that once wasn't there is what the Bible calls Curse, and this applies to all work, at home, in your classroom, at the factory, in the shop, in the office. We feel the pain. We see the pain. We experience the toil. We feel the calluses on our hands from our labor, the constant doubt swimming in and out, and we experience everything that feels far from good. And if you feel this way, if this is your experience of work, there is good news. Ephesians 2.10 was written for you. Turn with me to our third scene, a new creation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, look at this, created in Christ Jesus. This speaks to being a new creation, the idea of being recreated, the idea of being set free from the mechanism of sin and entering into life with Jesus and becoming all that God had designed us to be in the beginning. And how is such a thing possible? Well, look no further than the previous verses starting in chapter 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the good news. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he may show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And we love to stop there. 
But that's not how Paul concluded his thought. He goes on to say, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is about redemption and restoration. And we experience personal redemption and restoration when Jesus lives and dies for our sins and raises from the dead and offers new life to us on the other side of faith. But it also speaks to the redemption and restoration of all that was lost to sin. And that includes our work, the place where we would spend one-third of our lives. And so Jesus redeems our hearts so that we can be freed from this dimension called curse and liberated to live in the reality that he had designed for us in the beginning, union with God, not uh, tethered or dictated by sin. And this means we have new desires, New way of living, new way of perceiving the world, new way of interacting with creation. I love what John Tyson says. He says, the gospel calls us not to retreat from the world into the church, but to embody the values of God's kingdom wherever we are, especially in the workplace. And here is the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is our work becomes the arena for life with Jesus. The good news of the kingdom of God is that our work becomes the arena, the breeding ground for growing in life with Jesus. And notice what Paul says in verse 10, created in Christ for good works. Let me clarify something to you. Good works does not mean church stuff. It does not mean the occupational vision for ministry and church life that we often think of when we see good works. No, let me encourage you. Mowing lawns is good work. Staying at home with the kids is good work. Fixing cars is good work. Teaching students is good work. Being a student is good work. Holding down a part-time job to make ends meet is good work. Hear me, working in a place that doesn't fuel your passions and feels redundant and stagnant because it's not your dream job and you're working under a difficult boss, but you're doing it so you can provide for your family and meet all of their needs is good work. And the scriptures reveal to to us, that our work can be the place where heaven strategically invades earth to push back the forces of darkness, reverse the effects of sin, and be holy ground for encounters with God. Ordinary labor, ordinary relationships can be the arena for extraordinary encounters with the presence of God. You see, the work itself may not change, but the meaning and value is transformed when heaven invades earth and God takes over. The good news of the kingdom of God is that our work becomes the arena for life with Jesus. And what's so amazing is that when Jesus says, behold, I am with you always, that includes our work. Not just the the times where we spiritually enter into his presence, but he is with us always. Always that our work in the place where we occupy the most amount of our time can be a strategic place where Jesus' presence begins to disciple us and he begins to form us and make us into all that he's called us to be that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Maybe it's God's grace to you that you don't get along with your boss because he's trying to sanctify your heart. 
Maybe it's God's grace to you that things are a little bit difficult and not playing out the way you wanted it to because God's teaching you trust and faith in him that isn't dictated by your circumstances. Maybe it's God's grace to you that you failed your class or that your timeline isn't working out for your college degree because he's trying to form and mold something in you that you wouldn't be able to do on your own. I love what Dorothy Sayers says. The first Adam was cursed with labor and suffering. The redemption of labor and suffering is the triumph of the second Adam. The carpenter nailed to the cross. Ordinary labor, ordinary relationships can be the arena for extraordinary encounters with the presence of God. So what does this look like and how do we embody that? Uh, I love this story from, from John Tyson. He, he shares how uh, he came to faith in Jesus uh, during a revival in Australia, and he was so eager to serve the Lord uh, that he dropped out of high school and began working at a butcher shop so he could finance his ministry career. And, and, and he thought that, his, uh, uh, that what was happening at this butcher shop he was working at, would, 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 he would experience what he was experiencing at church, that people would get radically saved and have powerful experiences with God. And the opposite was true. And he shares how he was feeling so discouraged and, and so beat up and, and, and really doubting his calling and, and, and what it meant to work in this really mundane, ordinary place. And then the Lord began to teach him about work as he began to explore the scriptures and, 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 and uh, internalize God's vision for work. And he said, what I began to do that completely changed everything is that before the butcher shop opened, I would unlock the kitchen get on my knees, lift up these knives to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, use them for your glory and my life for your kingdom so my small part of the world can move toward redemption. That's what it looks like to integrate your spiritual life into your work. It looks like before you even begin your work, you hold up your toolbox and you say, Lord, these belong to you. Would you use it for your kingdom's sake and uh, transform me as you've placed me here strategically so that I can become more like Christ? It looks like holding up your keyboard and your mouse, even if it looks silly, but that's where you spend most of your time and say, Lord, I give this to you. Would you use it to advance your kingdom and make me all that you've called me to be in Christ Jesus? It looks like uh, uh, changing some diapers and saying, Lord, this kid belongs to you, but, but can you take him back because this kid is, is a mess, but you've given me this kid, so help me steward your creation and, and, and steward it for your kingdom's sake and may it move towards redemption. Wherever we find ourselves, it looks like lifting our hands and lifting the tools of our trade and saying, Lord, this belongs to you. Would you touch it? Would you bless it? Would it be used to advance your kingdom and make me more like you? The second way that we have encounters with God in our work is by inviting God to examine our hearts through our work, having an open dialogue with the Lord. Uh, in 2012, I was working at a grocery store in Midlothian, Texas. Uh, it was uh, going into my sophomore year, holding down a regular summer job so I could uh, try to save up enough money to buy books, but that never ended up working because I was like, man, how do I have less money now than, than when I started? This is insane. Uh, yes. The college students and former college students agree. Uh, and so I remember working at this grocery store. I had a one-hour lunch break, and I went to this Chinese restaurant, and I, and I brought out my Bible, and I brought out my journal, and I just began to pray. And I said, Lord, 
what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do in me and through me while I'm working this ordinary eight-hour job stocking groceries? And I've heard the voice of the Lord so clearly say, I'm trying to teach you humility. And I wrote that down. I still have that in my journal. And now my work was infused with purpose because now it wasn't just counting down the hours, waiting to clock out. I was alert and ready to use every single opportunity to invite the Lord to teach me humility, to humble me, to make me his servant for his kingdom, not just uh, experience some sort of transaction and move on with my life. Church, I invite you to have an open dialogue with the Lord at your work. If it's your 15-minute lunch break, if it's your one-hour lunch break, if it's during your coffee break, if it's at the end of the day, would you simply ask the Lord, if you're studying wherever you find yourself, God, what are you trying to do through me today? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? And would you be still before the Lord and see what he reveals to you? Maybe he's teaching you patience. Maybe he's teaching you kindness. Maybe he's teaching you gentleness or love or trust or faith. Now, work isn't just a mundane place where we spend one-third of our lives. It's a place where we can hopefully say, I spent 90,000 hours with the Lord there because he was with me always, and I was faithfully aware of his presence. The gospel makes our work a place of transformation a place of contribution as we create shalom in the world and a place of worship. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to help us capture this vision for work as we close in prayer.